ABC Listen. Podcasts, radio, news, music and more. Oh, my God, that can be the palate cleanser after every episode of, and just like that, we'll just watch an mm. episode of Glamorous and fill the Samantha Hole where it is so incredibly gaping from the new season. <laughs> I wish you'd use different words for those. <laughs> On. Hello. Hello, Zan. How are uh, you going? Early bang. Early bang. Early bang. Yeah. You are in a Brisbane, so it can be a Brisbane bang. Um, it in, is. It enjoying is summer and winter. Yet, my gosh. <laughs> what have I been doing in Melbourne for so long when Brisbane is offering me 27 degrees? <laughs> it's wild. I'm wearing a t shirt. I think even I the, the locals are a bit surprised by this as well, aren't they? It's kind of taken everyone by surprise. It really has. It really has. So it's um, yeah, it's been um, it's been lovely. I'm here on my because my weekends are Monday and Tuesday because I work. I do four shows on Saturday and Sunday, and I'm usually absolutely wrecked by then. So um, and my partner's in Brisbane, so I came up and I was like, "Holy hell, this is actually not real, is it?" I don't know myself. I'm, I was sweating yesterday. I had a glass of wine and I get a bit, I'm allergic to alcohol anyway, but I couldn't work out if it was the heat. I had just one glass of wine. I was bright red. I couldn't work out if that was the heat or the wine. Didn't care either way because I was just hot. <laughs> <laughs> Live it. Live, laugh, love. Well, thank you. Thank you for doing a bit of an early bang. The reason that we're banging on a bit earlier is that I have to be somewhere else on Thursday, which we might let you know about later on. Mm. But um, thank you for rolling in early on your weekend as well to bang on. Yeah, it's all right. I, I love bang on. I, it's I, not work, Zan. You know that. Oh, thanks, babes. <laughs> well, it was, a, it was a very big weekend in the Northern Hemisphere because the Glastonbury Festival went down, and good lord, there was a lot of things that happened. How many events? How many? Uh, Viral events can you have in a, in a three day festival or four day festival? This is wild. I know there was so many, um, which is good. They need it. They need they need the attention. Uh, there's only sixty four million people at the festival, so <laughs> they need they need the viral attention as well. But no, it was lovely actually. It's great to see so many people up and about going off to festivals, living their best lives. Um, Glastonbury's back. Then you know the world is back because it's been it's been a rocky couple of years. But there were I, I guess the first of the viral moments I saw was was Kate Blanchett getting up with. The beautiful duo that I've I've reviewed their their doco a couple of years ago I think on Bang On yeah. um, such a magnificent group uh, Sparks and I didn't even realise she appeared in, in their film clip and she got up on stage during that song the girl is crying in her latte and recreated her role in the film clip with the same outfit all of it it was great she's got moves too doesn't she she had the big glasses the headphones. Mm. Um, really inhabiting that because often you wonder if someone when they're dancing in a video clip whether they can recreate it IRL and she did she owned that Mm. stage people must have been like freaking out that there was an Oscar winner just you know meters away from them on stage with sparks I know and I don't think you would have expected it at all but there's something about actors and putting in a performance that I think that's the difference between them and musicians. You know, you'll see sometimes the the fear in the eyes of a musician as they're trying to commit to something because they are musicians. They're not. They're not. You know, performers first and foremost. I don't think sometimes. And Sparks are the epitome of that. You know, they they have a kind of they are performers, but it's also very it's very conscious. Whereas she gets on and she just 
switches on the acting yeah. and she's in it straight away without there's no embarrassment no shame you know you don't you don't see the fear in her eyes none of that straight in but people are saying it is the performance of her life and if i was <laughs> Kate Blanchett i would be a little annoyed at that actually given she's given quite a few performances of her life and and this one was pretty loose white lady after a few white wines dancing style moves i i wouldn't be into it as much that's so if, reductive if isn't her. it it's like here's I a viral know. moment performance of your life it's like steady on yeah. calm down come on <laughs> There's a few others I think we could probably list before this one. But she was great. She was amazing. I, I just admire her her commitment to every task that she sets her, her mind to. It's, oh, 100%. Um, it's unparalleled. 100%. That, that doco, what was it called, The Sparks Brothers, that you reviewed a couple of years ago? Yeah, I can't remember what it's called, but you'll be Brothers, able to yeah. find it. It was so beautiful and, and it was such a... A gorgeous exploration into the the oddity that is Sparks. They've been together for so long, and and they are such a cult group. And and for reasons you, you'll see as it as it shows in the in the doco, they're just such a special thing. We need to protect them at all costs. Yeah, I love also that this is possibly given you know a little torch sh- shone a light on Sparks for people who'd never heard of them before. Maybe they're going down that rabbit hole because Kate Blanchett mm. danced on stage in that yellow suit at Glastow. Rick Astley did two sets, Miff. Did you know this? I was looking into it. I, I thought it was just one, but two. two. Sets. So he did Has a... he got two sets worth of songs? I wouldn't think so. Well, no, and here's the point. One of the sets was with another UK band called The Gin Blossoms, and it was a complete set of covers of songs by The Smiths, which I think he held it down. But then he did another set where he did a bunch of his hits, including, obviously, Never Gonna Give You Up. Um, he covered mm. Harry Styles as it was, but he also covered this. Grunt as well. Yeah, and the best bit is he played the drums <laughs> on this. He can, he can hit the skins, he's on the tubs, and he's singing, and it was awesome. I have such respect for Rick Astley. I think he's and, – and the irony of, of them performing um, the Smith songs and making them joyful and wonderful. Yes. Is just beautiful, especially given Morrissey has turned into such a curmudgeonly old grump. And with some pretty ordinary views. Yes. It's kind of, it seems the perfect ending to the the, the kind of the journey of the Smiths to end up being played by Rick, Rick Astley. Astley <laughs> at Glastonbury and it becoming one of the most joyful moments of the entire festival. Love it. It feels right. Uh, mm. Tilda Swinton popped up too. I loved this because she's, if you if you missed it, she's actually collaborated with the composer Max Richter before on an album, mm. like a protest album called The Blue Notebooks. But she, she got up on stage and did the spoken word pieces. And I'm pretty sure it was in a morning when I'm sure people were feeling a bit dusty, maybe even mm. continuing the party from the night before and wondering if they were hallucinating seeing Tilda or if she actually did exist <laughs> in front of them in that beautiful suit reciting poetry to them. Oh, I'm into it. I'm into it. I didn't know about this one. This is great. Tilda's amazing. Uh, Lana Del Rey was on stage. A lot of people were anticipating this Saturday night set where she was playing The Other Stage. That's what it's called. Yeah. Um, But she couldn't quite finish her set. Yeah, this is disappointing. She turned up half an hour late, apparently. And these are her words. If they cut power, they cut power. I'm super fucking sorry. My hair takes so long to do. I love you to death. (laughs) But what 
she and that, that is true. I mean, but she's had a few years to organise the hair situation. I'm not sure. I do know that there was a little bit of controversy around the way she was announced on the other stage as the main headliner, in that she wasn't really given the same billing on the poster as the other headliners. And I know that that there was some issue with the Glastonbury organisers over that. She called that out at the time, yeah, kind of saying, hey, guys, I'm headlining, why aren't you mentioning me? Because people were rightfully calling out the fact that it was a very male-heavy headliner lineup, And she was like, wait, guys, I'm actually headlining on the Saturday night too, Mm. but wasn't given those those dues. Um, But But maybe the hair was a conscious thing. Maybe that was just like, I'm just going to fuck you up here a little bit. But in a way, it kind of messed her up. So she had to sing a cappella to the audience, a couple of the songs that, she didn't get to in her set. She looked really because dis- of said hairstyle. Yeah, she looked really distraught because obviously when you they must pay crazy fines. It's probably like that ten thousand dollar or ten thousand pounds a minute fine for every moment that they go over. I don't know who's around the Worthy Farm. Whether there's actually people who live nearby that would be complaining about the noise, but but whatever yeah. reason, um, it's a it's a hard finish at midnight. And yes, it did shut down. They literally pulled the power, and this is what happened. The crowd gets up. She, she's literally, I've seen the video, and she's like, she's kind of screaming out to the crowd going, I can't, I can't do anything. Why is the sound cut? Why is the sound cut? It's because you were doing your hair for half an hour. Actually, <laughs> you were late, love. You were late. <laughs> and, and then they start singing video games and finishing off the set for her. But she had Aww. eight songs left to go, eight songs. So at a festival set, that sounds like half the set was still left to go. You know that there's some asshole around the Glastonbury site who's, there's probably only one or two. Everyone else would be really into the festival because it would bring money into the local community, people, attention, all of that. But there'll be a couple of old farmers sitting there with their pipes going, because <laughs> <laughs> they've been complaining for years when the sound gets cut off and they've probably heard, uh, probably listening, probably quite like Lana Del Rey, listening, going, <laughs> it's over, we, uh, we won. With a com- comically large plug that they're just unplugging <laughs> on the side of the stage. <laughs> Cut the power. Absolutely. Someone who couldn't finish his set, it wasn't that he was stopped from finishing, but he struggled to finish during uh, his Glastonbury set, was one of the big headliners, Lewis Capaldi. We've been talking about him a little bit because he's spoken out about how um, he's been dealing with a lot of stuff lately, a lot of mental health problems, mm. but also a lot of physical health problems. He was recently diagnosed with Tourette's, which he's been you know, dealing with and also I think has explained a lot of the things that he's been going through of late. But he took a break of a few weeks and cancelled a bunch of shows to prepare for mm. Glastonbury. But then when he got on stage, he just wasn't able to finish his set. Did you hear what happened when that went down, Miff? Oh, and this was beautiful. I think people are very aware of what he's been going through. There is also a Netflix documentary that I haven't seen that explores. Um, I'm going to actually try and watch it. I hear it's really good. It explores his current situation, his his experience with his mental health and getting his Tourette's diagnosis, all of that, the anxiety of becoming a performer. Um, everyone says it's a really interesting doco. And so right at the end when he sang his big hit, that one, you know, that one, that one, he couldn't finish it. And obviously the anxiety kicked in and so did um, the... the 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 physical symptoms of Tourette's kicked in while he was on stage and the audience started to sing for him. They knew and it was beautiful. It was actually a really heartwarming and beautiful moment. Yeah, it's one of those moments where when you're at a festival, you're like, this is what it's all about. This is community.
He looked really moved by that too. It was amazing. Yeah. He said after that he has to cancel the next couple of months again, which actually puts um, under a cloud, doesn't it, Splendour in the Grass for Australia? Mm. That's due um, to happen in just a few weeks, like less yeah. than a month's time. And, yeah, he said, I, you know, I need to, you won't be seeing much of me for the rest of the year maybe even. So yeah, poor fella. It's uh it's tough. Yeah, it's really tough. I think it's tough for people who are, you know, also on the other side of Australia, like looking forward to seeing him and bought tickets to see him. This is the thing, isn't it? There's just people we're talking a lot more about mental health and the strains of being a musician and touring, particularly now after the lockdowns, after mm. the cost of touring, um, the expectations around it. For the first time in my living memory, musicians and, and artists are speaking about this quite openly because previously they'd been scared to talk about it because you don't complain about a rock and roll life because it's a yeah. dream life. And it's really um, empowering, I think, for a lot of musicians to speak about this. But it makes it really hard for everyone involved, for promoters, for you know fans who are buying tickets, for the artists who are connecting with everyone. It's just um, it's a tough time. It's a tough time for everyone yeah. at the moment in so many different ways. But yep. it's, um, you sort of see this on full show in one of the biggest stages in the world and that's kind of why we're talking about Glastonbury so much because it is one of the most iconic festivals in the world. And when you see this sort of stuff happening, it just reminds you of the, the humanity of everyone that, you know, yeah. our, our shells aren't necessarily that thick um, and yeah. sometimes they can crack. And, it's yeah, it's just so beautiful to see when the crowd lifts someone up like that and really, you know, held Lewis in, um, in such a supportive way in that moment. Absolutely. It was beautiful. Did you see what happened on another tip on stage with Rina Sawayama? She'd been on stage with Elton John yeah, over the weekend as well, who did his final set. That's a whole other thing. You would have seen that on every every ABC News bulletin and everything else. Elton saying goodbye for the last time. I reckon he's going to be back. But oh, Rena, he will. <laughs> but Rena got up for her own set as well. And before she played her song, Shut the Fuck Up, this is how she introduced it. Because I was sick and tired of these microaggressions. So tonight, this goes out to a white man that watches ghetto gathers and mocks Asian people on a podcast. He also owns my masters. I've had it now. Yes. <laughs> wow, it's awesome. Yeah. And a lot of people asking questions about this, like, what does it mean? Is it about Maddie Healy? And if you're kind of confused about this, I think it is. Pretty clear. Someone who who has been mocking Asian people in a podcast, Matt Healy, and that podcast that caused all the controversy with the Taylor Swift fans. So I think that absolutely must be about him. Yeah. Let's break it down for you, basically. I've got to say as well, at the time, we talked about Maddie Healy and Taylor Swift and that fan culture a few weeks ago. And... I want to apologise for being somewhat dismissive of that. I think at the time from memory I said that he was part of a podcast but wasn't saying anything um, derogatory. In reflecting on that and looking into what this has now happened with Rena calling him out on stage, he was laughing along. Um, he was, uh, I guess, joining in with the mockery of people like Ice Spice on the podcast. He That Ghetto Gaggers uh, reference that Rena mentions there um, in the podcast, Healy said that he watched racially charged pornography, Ghetto Gaggers, uh. which is um, something that, you know, it brutalises Asian women. 
And if you're curious about that master's thing, this is the thing that I had to look into because yeah, I, I was confused about this. Confused about that. Does he really? So, well, Sawayama, Rina Sawayama is signed to Dirty Hit, which is a UK record label. Yeah, that also releases the music of the 1975, which yeah. Matt Healy is a lead singer. And it's run by the band's manager, the 1975's manager. Healy was a director of the company of Dirty Hit Records between December the 20, between December 2018 and April 2023. So up until recently, he was one of the directors of the company. So maybe he does own the masters to her music as someone who's very yeah. involved in Dirty Hit. But that's the breakdown. And oh my God, the well, power Inspector of Gadget, her. thank you so much for looking into that. <laughs> I'm Penny with my watch of information. (laughs) (laughs) Well, I just like, and don't know if you probably looked at this yourself, Bang Fam, but you know, um, if not, there's a lot going on in a 30 second introduction to a song, and what incredible power for Mm. a woman of colour to take down one of the most talked about musicians in the world in such a public way and basically say, before shut the fuck up, you know, get out of my fucking lane. Like, amazing, amazingly empowering. Um, so yeah, has he responded yet? I don't even know. I hope he does, but he probably won't. Yeah. Well, he's got a lot to answer for for the last few months. Yeah. I think he's been quite dismissive around whether people care about what he says, which I think is such a privileged position to hold to basically say, oh, people don't care about it. It's like, well, don't they get to decide whether they care about it? Mm. You're saying all these offensive things. Does it, it, how do you get to decide how people take that? That's just such a, what a position mm. of power um, to yeah. hold. It's like the person who says they're the devil's advocate. They can only choose to be the devil's advocate when they are actually so privileged it doesn't affect them. Yeah. Well, lots going on at Glastonbury. I'm very sad that I missed Rick Astley. I'm sad too, but I would never still want to go to Glastonbury. Um, have you been? <laughs> no. <laughs> I almost went a few years ago um, and then I couldn't sort out tickets. And when I say tickets, I mean a place where it was going to be safe and warm and not muddy. (laughs) I just, I can't, 180,000 people. I think we've talked about this on Bang On before. It just sounds terrifying to have almost 200,000 people at a festival. Think about the walking you do between stages, Miff. I'm too old for that shit. And I couldn't do it at the moment because I'm wearing a brace on my knees. So (laughs) it just sounds like my worst nightmare. If you had greater calm, like a high-end yurt or something and you were flown in by a helicopter and didn't have to deal with 180,000 people, I'd be fine. I'd love it. Have a great time. If you're a Kardashian is what you're saying. (laughs) Yeah, I suspect that's never going to be the case, so I'm never going. I did see a great picture of Stormzy who wasn't playing but was just living the glass life and he's just kind of laying maybe on a haystack in the backstage area and he's just got those love heart sunglasses kicking back with like six different wristbands showing that he can get into any party, any stage, any secret room in Glastonbury and looking like he's having the time of his life. When I go to Glastonbury, mm. I want to live the Stormzy life. Yeah. Not as a performer, as a punter. Live like Stormzy. That's how I want to do Glastonbury. Yep. That sounds good. Elton John, though, did his final ever concert, first time ever on the Glastonbury stage. Can you believe it? First time ever. And look who owned the entire festival, a whole bunch of people over the age of 70. We had Elton. We had Yusuf uh, slash Cat Stevens. We had uh, Rick Astley. All of these acts that blew everybody away all over the age of 70. Hang on. Is Rick Astley over the age of 70? Oh, sorry. Sorry, 60. (laughs) 60. 60. I mean, it's fine. It's looking great. I know. Guns and Roses as well? Guns and Roses? Oh, no, they're still in their 50s. They look 60. No, no disrespect. I can't believe it's been the first time that Elton John's ever performed at Glasgow. That's crazy. Yeah. 
Amazing. Oh, Candy Staten performed, aged 83, absolutely owned it. Holy shit. Incredible. Is, hang on, is she the one who sings Debbie Harry, You've Got the Love? Is, is Candy the one that sings You've Got the Love? Young hearts oh. run free. <laughs> Vibe. And You Got the Love, yes. Amazing. All right, well... We've got this hope for us yet, Miff. Maybe we should be going to Glastonbury because all the vintage acts are pulling the biggest crowds. I know. I just need to get a music career before then. That might help. <laughs> no, nah, be like Tilda Swinton. Just join a musician and recite poetry on stage. <laughs> That's the oh, vibe. I love it. That's the I love vibe. It. You sent me a very interesting article over the weekend as well about other bad things that happen at concerts, and particularly. Mm. Um, musicians who are on the receiving of them, titled, Why are people throwing phones at musicians? And yeah, I have the same and my, question. And my first response to that question would be because they are fuckwits. Like, <laughs> why would you, A, if phones are expensive, why would you throw them in the first place? And B, you're throwing it at another human being, which is essentially very unacceptable behaviour in a public place. You don't throw anything at anyone. We learned that in kindergarten, like very, very basic information there and it seems like it's happening quite regularly it's become a bit of a thing although it's not new tom jones used to get and i'm sure rod stewart as well used to get knickers thrown at them but knickers are soft Mm. undies are soft Mm. and i think what this article points out is that people have kind of lost their ability to be in public places post lockdowns they've lost their their understanding of what's okay behavior and what's not which i think is a very valid point you feel it more and more people are a little bit more aggressive out in the world um they're less caring of other people as well especially in the within the the, the confines of a, a huge group you're anonymous mm. but there's something going on online too where artists have actually taken people's phones from the audience with with consent and then recorded them something that then allows that person that anonymous person in the audience to have a viral moment because they've given them the gift of something special and and I think that the, the article infers that or implies that people want that viral moment, so they'll throw a phone in the hope that this person might actually give them something in return. But how are they and... going to get the phone back? That's my question. Like, you I just know. throw it from the crowd. Like, whose phone is this? <laughs> yeah, they're not uh, going to stop sorry. the show and find the owner of the phone. <laughs> no, they're not. And so, again, fuckwits. Like, actual fuckwits. <laughs> In closing, fuckwits. It just goes back to being fuckwits. Keep your phone on you, otherwise it'll get taken off you. And people don't want that. They want to be able to film and take photos and enjoy their experience with their phones because really it's just a part of life now. However, that's what's going to happen if people keep throwing it. That that luxury will get taken away. And I think fair enough, you know, if you're going to actually use it as as a thing of force beer bottles, things like that have been thrown as well mm. at a lot of artists over the years. And it's just it's just unacceptable in general. I don't understand how you can throw a phone that could cost like one to two thousand dollars. That's me being like well, don't you worry. Like are these people just got like, you know, burner phones that they're throwing or are they just so rich or <laughs> mum and dad are gonna buy them another one that they don't care? Like again, this is old Zan talking know. here, but I'm like, what are you doing throwing your phone? It doesn't make oh, sense to me. Aside from I the agree. fact that it's like violet to be throwing a phone or anything that's heavy and hard at someone's head. Just from a personal like a personal ownership perspective, what what are you doing throwing your phone? <laughs> Doesn't make sense. Yeah, yeah I mean, I, I'm, I, we earn good money, Zan. We could probably afford to throw a phone once in our <laughs> life, but we wouldn't. We wouldn't, you know, and we're also middle-aged. So we, these kids are, like, what sort of pocket money are they getting? <laughs> Too much. Too much. <laughs>
Miff, two episodes of And Just Like That have dropped. We forecast it last week on Bang On and it was the day of recording Thursday. It's been just a few days since then. Have you found some time to watch the return season two of And Just Like That yet? Yes, absolutely. Have you? <laughs> You've made time. I've made time. I've made time. <laughs> I made time this week. I had to. I had to. Um, yeah, I watched it. I uh, watched it as I was boarding a plane, actually. There's a lot of lot of scenes in it that I had to fast forward 15 seconds on my phone because, again, I don't want to be that person on the aeroplane watching something that makes you look like you're a perv. Oh, my God, the whole opening sequence of the I first know. episode is just people fucking. I know. I <laughs> like know. over and, it, and over again. And I think this is an interesting point. What they're trying to do is bring the sex back into the city, but the problem is... I don't know, it just feels so staged and so it just shows the glaring lack of Samantha, who was really essentially the only person on the program who had sex a lot. I mean, Carrie did too, but they never seemed to have any fun with sex, whereas Samantha had fun. Mm. And and it just showed a lot of people having sex but not much fun. And it was, I didn't, I wasn't into it at all. I had a sudden realisation because we've got all these new characters that are now finding, you know, bedding down. In the first season, it was very awkward. There was a lot of catching up to do in both time and also um, correcting the severe lack of any diversity in the first, you know, Sex and the City series or the six seasons of that. But I had a realisation recently that Seema is Samantha. She's Carrie's friend who's incredibly independent, independently wealthy, um, screws men who are... Sorry, screws is such an old school word. Why do I say screws? Screws. <laughs> Has sex with men who um, she doesn't necessarily, like she keeps everyone at, 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 you know, at arm's length. She's kind of got that similar, doesn't, you know, if Samantha was someone who didn't necessarily um, give herself over to the idea of relationships, right, until, you know, way into the series, but she was very much like, I'm just in it for the sex, I'm going to, and that was fine, that was very empowering. Seema has the same sort of thing. She keeps men at arm's length and she's mm. the new friend of Carrie's, which I reckon aligns most closely with that massive hole that we have where Samantha mm. once reigned supreme. But the, I don't know, the, I feel like at this point we've got to stop comparing and maybe that's me just wanting to get mm. through the the next season because it feels like it's just, it's so over the top. The wealth is extreme. I was kind oh of thinking goodness. to myself. It's, it's kind of gross, isn't it? That it, opening scene of their amazing dressing rooms. I mean, who has, who has a fucking walk-in robe, let alone in New a York. dressing room <laughs> in New York, let alone a, a place to dress like that? And. I just, I don't know, it felt a bit, it was too much almost. I reckon I'm going to lean in because it's so silly and over the top. I mean, the fact that they've got Tony Danza making a cameo as Shay's um, TV sitcom dad. It's like, why not? It just feels like it's ripe for the memes. Like almost they're conscious of the fact that it's going to be ripped so they may as well just lean in. Mm. And aside from the fact that it has nowhere near the kind of sharp writing of watching rich people suffer like Succession does... I'm still here for it. I've got to just put that aside. Adju mm. What I'm saying is I'm adjusting my expectations, Miff. You know I'm going to watch the whole thing. I know. And so am I. <laughs> I will too. But the one-liners are just so heavy. It's almost like, oh, did you catch that? Like, it's just, they're, they're just throwing you, like they're throwing them at you. And it's like, oh, God, it's awful. They also It's actually awful and I love it. Like, I just, I can't, I will, will absolutely watch it, but everything about it is pretty awful. They haven't learned anything as well. If you think about it, we're watching, you know, we watched the first series of Sex and the City, the six seasons of it, watching women in their 30s navigate the that decade in a really messy, non-linear way 
way, but also it was entertaining. And they kind of haven't learned anything, which is fine because we're all hot messes, but it's just sort of the same thing over again, but in their 50s and with slightly less, like Miranda's, I think, quite hard. Her character development is terrible. She's lost all of her power oh, in many ways. I can't hard stand watch. watching her. But it's someone, awful. But someone like Charlotte, it's like fully t- turbo leaned into her waspy greatness and the kind of scenes with Charlotte and Harry and their family are so cooked and so over the top. They're reaching new levels of camp and that's what I'm here for yeah, just like no, really that's, good. that's that. actually a good that's a really good point it is it's new levels of camp in a way as long as it's self-aware i'm fine with that but otherwise it's just like <laughs> looking forward to the next episode dropping this week absolutely yes yeah, see you there speaking of succession sarah snook just got announced as something pretty exciting the picture of dorian gray going to the west end in london Amazing, amazing. Now, I don't know if you got to see the... It was an MTC production of The Picture of Dorian Gray that was on in Melbourne originally, and it was so huge you could you literally couldn't get a ticket. And then it went to Sydney. Same thing happened. It went overseas. Uh, critics, rave reviews, all of that. Um, did you see it? I was invited to opening night, which was amazing. It was the week before I was going to Nashville to record the first two episodes of Take 5. Aww. And it was in the middle of winter and COVID was around. And I was like, I just can't do this because if I get sick, I'll, yeah. I, that's it. Like it's too yeah. big a risk. So I didn't. And then I came back and I could not get a ticket to save my life. That's so right. I'm devastated because it's, I've just seen people just talk about it being one of the greatest theatre experiences of their life. Like for anybody who hasn't seen it, what actually happens? Like the, the main character, EJ and now Sarah Snook, they play every yeah, Aaron- single role, right? Every single role. Erin Jean Norville was the actor who just absolutely killed it in these first run of productions. It, it, it is wild. It's She plays every character of Dorian Gray and so conversations that happen between people. But the other character in it is the technology. Um, it, 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 I can't even explain it. Like it's it, – it was so extraordinary in terms of the way it was structured and put together. Um the technology plays is is essentially another character or many other characters. And I went, I I got a ticket to the very final performance in Melbourne uh, during the day in the afternoon. And I I sort of hadn't read a lot about it. I knew it was amazing. And we sat there and then they stopped it. And there was 20 minutes or 40 minutes or however long. And they said, we can't go on. There are technical difficulties. And I'm going, "What, what, what one person play has technical difficulties. But when you see the level of the, of the the technical requirements once you see the show, you realise that is, you know, it's like losing a character, I, I guess. Um, and Sarah Snook's going to take this role on. I wouldn't wish it on my worst enemy. <laughs> like, talk about the show must go on. You've got no one else to lean on during that if you forget your lines. True. <laughs> terrifying, utterly terrifying. But I imagine this is, this is a piece that anyone who prides themselves... On being an actor and, and wanting to really lean into what being an actor is, which is uh, the the craft of it and the skill of it, this is it. This is absolutely it. And I couldn't think of a better thing for her to do post-succession with all of her critical accolades coming her way. This is just going to blow it completely out of the water. She will be, you know, this is going to cement her as one of the one of the greats, I think. It's just so good to see as well that there are productions coming out of Australia and plays coming out of Australia that whether they're, um, you know, directed by an Australian director or written by an Australian like Prima Facey, who's written by Susie Miller, who has, you know, that's been playing in Australia for many years and then it's gone over to Broadway and the West End and 
you know, taken that by storm. Like Jodie Comer stars in Prima Facie on Broadway. She's just won Tonys in the last week or so um, for that production. So it's just amazing to see that Australia is punching above its weight and now this um, new production of this incredible picture of Dorian Gray with Snooky, mm. as I like to call her, Snooky, um, <laughs> is going to be coming to the West End. Almost yeah. reason to fly over and see it. How's that? I couldn't get a ticket in Melbourne or Sydney, so I'm you off go to, to London. London. <laughs> go to London to see it. Well, I saw it in Sydney. I didn't end up seeing it because the production went off to New York and I was like, I'm never going to see this show. So you but finally got to see to it. You got to see it finish and now you've understood why those technical difficulties were such a big deal, right? Oh, absolutely. And it, it's an extraordinary, extraordinary experience. It was brilliant. And like I said, wouldn't wish that role on my worst enemy, but I'm sure an actor would absolutely love to play that role because it's mind, mind-blowing. There are so many Bang Fam in London. Hopefully you get along to see that if you're listening um, and let us know what you think of it with Sarah Snook in the role. So, so good. She's just had a kid too. Where'd she get the time? Like, seriously. Not to say that you can't do both, but my God, this, <laughs> when you see this role, when you see this role and you see what it requires, it's, um, I, I don't know, it's, she's, she's blowing my mind right now. It's a big job. And I'm bad like the Barbie. I'm a doll, but I still want to party. Pink felt like I'm ready to bend. I'm a 10, so I pull in a can. Hey, in a couple of weeks, Barbie's going to open the film directed by Greta Gerwig, starring Margot Robbie, Issa Rae, oh, who else is in it? Dua Lipa. It's going to be massive. Very excited. I think we've talked about it a lot on Bang On. Have you seen the Architectural Digest tour of the Barbie home? I did. Barbie land. It was beautiful. Margot Robbie taking you through as they do when they do their Architectural Digest videos. Hey, welcome to my Barbie home. And it is extraordinary. Uh, the work and the effort that's gone into recreating the Barbie house, uh, it just touches so many heartstrings when you're looking at it. That the, the, the bit I loved was her going into the kitchen um, where there are actual 3D kitchen elements when you open up the fridge, but then there are still the two, 2D decal elements yes. that remind you of the back of the Barbie house and the wall and the products that are in there just painted on the wall to make it look like it's real, but it's not when it comes to the dollhouse and the real house. Oh, just loved it, loved it. It feels like it comes from a place of love too, the way that Greta Gerwig is talking about it and just her memories of, you know, when you got a, a, a Barbie box with the clear plastic on the front just, and there would be the Barbie and all of the little sunglasses or bags or whatever shoes. and they're like your shoes stuck to the back of the cardboard and you just want to mm. like rip it open and take them out and start dressing the Barbie and that's how they've designed Barbie's actual wardrobe in, in the film so it's this clear glass that's opened up and then all of the outfit for the day is there as it appears in a box that's someone who's got a deep connection and understanding of that joy mm. you have as a little kid engaging with Barbie and that excitement and so you can kind of tell that Greta she's obviously taken on this directing role because she loves Barbie, but you know she's going to give an edge to it, but she's still very true to all of those childhood connections that we have to this doll and the experience of getting a new Barbie. It just yeah. looks like it's going to be made with such love. And also the modernist furniture. I was thinking of you when I looked at that, all the incredible 50s and 60s modernist furniture that's dotted throughout the whole Barbie home and Barbie paradise that they live in. So good because I, Barbie started in 1959, I think, and that's what I learned anyway from this little video. And they've recreated furniture pieces that would have been quite special at the time. So there's lots lots to love about this and, and discussions, seeing really creative people have discussions about pink. Yes. Is, <laughs> it was beautiful because you can imagine, you know, that because Barbie was pretty garish. It wasn't just like nice. It wasn't millennial pink. 
put it that way. It was the it was the shit pinks, and they had to do the shit pinks, which are those really bright, awful ones that kids love, and um, and they had to do it respectfully and tastefully. And I think they managed to do that. It was brilliant. I'm going to put it in the show notes. It's such a joy, such a joy. Um, Something else I, I I didn't mention, but I'd like to mention for you now. There is an actual Airbnb in Malibu that just come back on, and it is uh, the Malibu Dream House. Um, but it's had uh, it's like you can actually rent this. It's just come up. Only two people can rent it at a time, so you can't have parties or anything. But it's it's the Mal- Malibu house that's been redone by Ken. And it's called Welcome to My Kendom. And if you check the Airbnb <laughs> listing, you see there's notes from the host, which is really cute. Um, places to stay hosted by Ken. Um, hey there, I'm Ken. This is this is his host piece. I live my life by two Bs, Beach and Barbie. And Rollerblades, <laughs> if you count that B. I'm teaming up with Airbnb and taking over the Malibu Dreamhouse while Barbie's away. There's so much stuff to do some days. I'm not sure what to do first. God, must be hard. I mean, do you catch waves before or after firing up the grill? And how do you know when to visit the horses? Anyway, I'm excited for you to stay the night so you can do it all and more. So that's actually up if you wanted to go and stay in God. that real house. It's just... It's it's pretty wild, actually. It's revolting and wild, <laughs> and I would love it. I would absolutely love it. Barbie is going to dominate culture this year. I can just feel it. There's going to be hot pink everywhere. We're going to be booking a weekend at the Malibu Dreamhouse, the Kendom. Did you call it the yeah, Kendom? the Kendom. Welcome to my Kendom. So, so good. <laughs> so, so, so good. So good. Uh, what are you banging on about this week? Uh, I've been listening to a podcast. It's a popular culture podcast from uh, America. It's called Keep It. And I'm just really enjoying it because it's it's two two people, Ari Madison III and Louis, Louis Vettel, I think, or Louis Vettel. I never know whether it's Louis or Louis, still uh, 50 years down the track. <laughs> um, and they talk about popular culture, TV in particular, and film. They interview really high-end actors about their filmic roles and their careers, um, but it's from and through, I guess, the, the their uniquely queer perspective. And they're also very in in Hollywood. One of them is uh, not just a, a writer about and, and a critic about television and movies. Uh, the other is uh, a comedian who had his had his success um, after appearing on Jeopardy. Apparently something went viral on Jeopardy. So Mm. also writes for the Oscars, writes for the Tonys, that kind of thing. So it's just a really, it's a really in conversation, but they're two great hosts. And um, I don't know, I'm just really enjoying their perspectives on things. And it feels like you've got a bit of an insider perspective on what's really going on in Hollywood and what's really going on in terms of film and television over there. So, yeah, I, I don't know. I've just been really enjoying it. And they did great interviews with Jason Schwartzman, who's just uh, doing his latest movie with um, Wes Anderson. But you hear a lot about, you know, previous projects and his experiences. It's just a re- it's a really great little podcast and they're two great, great personalities and voices that I'm enjoying spending time with. I love it. Keep it. All right, I'll put a link to that in the show notes. I'm also yep. loving you being in your podcast era. You kind of mm. take the piss that I've been listening to a lot of audiobooks. You've, you're doing all the podcasts at the moment and it's great because um, we don't always bang on about podcasts. So it's always good to give the get the heads up on, on the vibes that you're getting because obviously if any bang fam are listening to us and they're into podcasts. I did get a really interesting email though. Before I bang on about what I want to talk about this week, the mm. I got a great email from Adrienne this week. I wanted to give her a little shout out because she told us that we are the first podcast that she's ever listened to. She didn't do oh. podcasts until October last year. 
and she used to walk to work, scroll Spotify, and would just be listening to the same old tunes and bands and not really find anything new. So she was like, this is okay, but it's getting a bit boring. And then she was kind of on autopilot and was quite dull. Then she found Bang On, and now she's gone down this whole rabbit hole on other podcast recommendations, on books, on things to watch. And we were her gateway to podcasts. So, Oh, isn't that um, beautiful? Aidy, thank you so much for your beautiful message. She also said, P.S. Miff, I saw you in the cram- tram conductor outfit on Saturday <laughs> night at the Athenaeum. Hot. Love the show. Bloody well done. It's not hot, let's be honest. <laughs> <laughs> you look cute. Thank you. It's hot thank at the you. end. No spoilers. Hot at the end. No spoilers. Pants off. Pants off. <laughs> And then you just say what it is. Doesn't matter. You're only in the show for another few more weeks. That's Get right. to the other name if you want to see Miff's pants being ripped off. Yep. There it is. By Jason Donovan. Well, there like, it is. It's a I, kicker. If it, yeah. If 15-year-old me ever knew that 50-year-old me would have my pants ripped off every night by Jason Donovan, <laughs> she'd be screaming. Screaming. What an absolute And, angel. you know, it takes on a totally different vibe these days, but it's, it's, all, it's, it's work. But, you know, like it's funny. It's, it's, the life has come full circle. Yeah, it's beautiful. Never In the strangest of ways. Always expect the unexpected is the, uh, the subtext of that. So, so good. So good. What are you banging on about? I'm banging on about Deadlock. And I know that we've talked about this as a you should watch this, but we haven't actually banged on about it. So I wanted to make an really? official bang about Deadlock which is the new series on Amazon Prime written by the Kates, Kate McCartney, Kate McLennan, the people who came up with Get Kraken, amazing writers in Australian television. And, yeah, I think we gave people the heads up when it was dropping and we've kind of mentioned it here and there but haven't done a proper bang. And it is so good. There's six episodes down, two more to go, so many red herrings in this show. I keep on changing who I think has done it because there is a serial killer on the loose in the tiny Tasmanian town of Deadlock and watching them all try to figure it out and go down these rabbit holes and the incredible performances of Madeline Sammy, Kate Box and Nina Oyama in particular, it is just like one of those shows that I'm scream laughing at every week when it drops. It is absolute appointment television every Friday night and I cannot wait for the last two episodes. I'm thinking about having a viewing party for the, party for the oh. finale in a couple oh, of weeks. Good. Um, if you, good. If you've got Amazon Prime and you are thinking, should I watch it, should I not, like just dig in. It is so good and it's just an incredible Australian cast and so well done and um, I don't want it to end. I'm hoping they'll have another season as well. But, God, it's good. They okay, I've got to watch that. There's not, not enough time in the world. Not enough time. But, you know, you found time to watch and just like that, and that's all I'll say. I know, Will. And apparently <laughs> this is good too. Heads up, your mate Paul gave us for uh, Glamorous, or was it was it you? I'm oh, Glamorous, sure. yeah. PK. Yeah, um, which actually has Samantha from Sex and the City in it, and apparently it is utter trash and completely watchable. So looking forward to that if you need it. Oh, my God, that can be the palate cleanser after every episode of and just like that. We'll just watch an episode mm. of Glamorous and fill the Samantha Hole where it is so incredibly gaping from the new season. <laughs> I wish you'd use different words for that. <laughs> Hey, we will see you next week. The reason that we're banging on a little bit earlier this week is that I am actually going to be wearing a lot of pink this Thursday. I will be wearing pink head to toe because I have the very lucky job of hosting the official press conference for the Barbie movie. Unbelievable. Unbelievable. (laughs) 
I just can't believe it. So Greta Gerwig, Margot Robbie, Issa Rae and America Ferreira are going to be in a room. If they're all wearing pink, then it's going to be a bright day, that's for sure. <laughs> but we'll be doing that on Thursday. So I'll give you I'll give you the goss next week. I can't believe it. It's so crazy. Oh, I forgot to mention too, did you know that the poster for Barbie in France has caused quite a bit of controversy as well? Um, apparently they translated the Barbie poster literally and um, accidentally made a pun that reads, she knows how to do everything, he just knows how to fuck. And that's for Ken. <laughs> Because that's, I, I, I think the English version is, what is the English version of it? It's just. He knows how to uh, ken? Yeah, he knows how to ken. But in in France it translated, he just knows how to fuck. I'm here for it. I know. Don't bring that up at the press conference. They might not be so happy about that. I'm sorry, oh, maybe babes. they will. You've just given me my opening question. I'll let you know how it goes next week. <laughs> See you, babes. Bye. Hang on. We done? No, you haven't asked me what I'm banging on about. I haven't asked you what you're banging on. <laughs> Fuck, it feels like forever. Oh God, I haven't done that for a while, have I?